Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Go Give podcast. My name is Ben Wright, your host, and really excited to have on Stephanie Benedetto today on the podcast. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm good, Ben. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Really, really excited to have you on today. I always like to begin the podcast by letting the guests kind of introduce themselves, uh, what they're working on, and, and kind of give a little bit of a, an introduction. You bet. Glad to do it. Hey, everyone. My name is Stephanie Benedetto, and I'm the queen of raw. And I'm on a mission to solve the world's water crisis. And little known fact is that textile production, that fabric, that clothing you're wearing right now, it's by some accounts the number two polluter in the world of clean water globally. But as damaging as textiles and fashion are to the world, it also means that textiles and fashion have the power to solve the world's water crisis if we rethink the way we do things. So we built Queen of Raw as a global marketplace so anyone from a student, maker, crafter, or quilter, the biggest brands and retailers in the world can buy and sell their unused textiles, keep it out of landfill, and obviously turn what would be pollution into profit. And we're really excited. We've actually saved over a billion gallons of water to date, and we're just getting started. So that's never a, doubt the actions you take can't change the world, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty powerful um, introduction there. I think that there's a couple of points I want to unpack, but the first one actually being, I suppose, a bit of naivety from my, my kind of point of view, not knowing that the textile industry caused pollution. I don't know if you could dig into that. I know you said it was, yeah. the I think, the second biggest polluter, right, of, of, of water? Clean water by some accounts, and it contributes to the number one polluter, which is oil and agriculture, which of course it uses a portion of. But let me break it down for you. Um, one t-shirt, think of your favorite cotton t-shirt, right? It takes an average 700 gallons of water to produce it. And that's enough clean water for one person to drink around the world for three years. And over 2 billion shirts are sold new around the world every single year. And I don't like to harp too much on the scary statistics because I obviously like to talk about yeah. how we can take action and solve that. But let me throw one more figure out. According to the World Wildlife Fund, if we continue at the current pace of textile production, by 2025, two thirds of the entire world's population will face shortages of fresh water and be exposed to hazardous chemicals from textile production alone. So we're not talking about 100 years from now. We're not talking about 50 years from now, right? We're literally talking about today and on our shores. And so it gives a sense of urgency to this, but hopefully also opportunity and inspiration for us to do better. No, I love it. And, and I think you touched on kind of what I was going to go with next. So you, you talked about not wanting to focus on the scary statistics and actually focusing on what we can do as as, as a world, right, to, 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 to improve that. Um, obviously, your platform being being one of those. I don't know if you could just give the audience some idea as to, you know, hearing those scary statistics, what can we do and what is being done to try and combat those? those yeah. Well, you know, I like to say, unless we all are going to go naked, right, we're going to consume clothing. But what's interesting about what we're going through in the world right now through the pandemic and otherwise is it's caused this new awakening this consciousness, right? That we're aware of what's touching our body. And I always say like the ingredients of food that you put in your body, the ingredients in the materials that touch yours and your loved one's bodies all day long, you should be able to read it, know what it is and understand what it's made of. If you don't, probably not something you want touching your body all day long. So when we looked at this problem of textile production and waste, um, we just saw that 
every single year, as fast as clothing was being produced, there was a huge amount of waste created. And some of this waste, a surprisingly large amount, is perfectly good stuff. Just sitting in warehouses collecting dust, you're going to be burned or sent to landfill. And so, you know, there are some incredible businesses. Many have already probably been working with them. Think of Thread Up, The Real Real, Poshmark, Depop, right? All doing incredible work with finished goods and keeping what you're not using anymore in circulation through a marketplace. We're doing the same, just doing it with textiles and the raw materials side of things. Um, and, and huge opportunity there. We actually measured it and have seen that every single year over $288 billion worth of unused textiles sits in warehouses or gets burned or landfilled. And this is perfectly good stuff that we can resell and reuse and actually slow down that rate of textile production and waste in the world. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. So I suppose what, what are the core reasons as to why textiles yeah. are being wasted? Like why would people want to just destroy stock that's worth you know X billion number of, of dollars? Such a great question, right? I think historically, supply chains around the world have just gotten so fast and so complex, right? I mean, you just think of how many steps and many people don't know that it actually takes to go from cotton being grown to that shirt you're wearing right now. I mean, this is literally hundreds of steps across the globe and metric tons of water, chemical crops and oil are used in the process. And when you've got that many steps all over the world, right? And it's that complex, um, inevitably there's going to be some waste created, especially when you're actually manufacturing something, right? In design, in production, you create waste. And this waste for so long was kind of swept under the rug. Make more, sell more, right? That's the goals of these, of these brands and retailers to satisfy end consumer needs. But so they didn't pay attention to this waste for a long time. And then the pandemic hit, right? And suddenly this waste, this unused inventory became top of mind for everybody, right? We were experiencing a crisis of supply, more unused inventory than ever before because of closed stores, canceled orders, missed seasons and collections. And so for the first time, bottom lines were suffering so much because of this waste that businesses woke up to it and realized what we've known all along, right? Which is that this waste is expensive and not only is it bad for your profit, but it's also really bad for people and planet. And so that gave us an opportunity here now to help those businesses do better. Sell the waste and minimize it going forward. That's the yeah. goal. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's kind of incredible. And, and I think um, a couple of points there. So you mentioned that the pandemic, have you seen a massive uptick in terms of interested people wanting to get on your platform as a result of the, of the pandemic and the difficulties? Massive. We've grown over 125% month over month through the pandemic and counting, and that's with no additional spend in any PR marketing or advertising. So um, the what's interesting is obviously one can understand why you would want to sell this stuff. But I don't think people realize when we first set out with this business, why would anyone want to buy it? Mm -hmm. And funny enough, the biggest brands and retailers in the world are not only selling, but turning around and buying. And why? Because their supply chains were impacted through the pandemic. There was disruption. And you need what you need when you need it, right? 
at yeah. a discount and away from those areas impacted by disruption. And this excess stock, this waste, this dead stock afforded that opportunity to keep doing what they do best, make that finished good, satisfy your end consumer, but they could use locally available resources at a discount. And so why wouldn't you? It makes economic sense. Plus she got a great sustainable story to tell, which improves your top line. So it's kind of a win, win, win. How do you say no to that? Yeah, for sure. So, so in terms of your buyers, the people that, that dig in and, and actually, you know, use the platform, presumably that's quite a diverse group from, um, from companies, but also I'd imagine individuals as well. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time digging into the technology behind our marketplace because we have such an incredibly broad and diverse community. We've got buyers and sellers all over the world. When we started this marketplace, we started in 2018 in the US, very quickly realized that the supply is global, the demand is global, supply chains are global, and we had to be global. So very quickly now we're on every continent and growing in key regions. And obviously in that affords itself an opportunity to really match the supply and demand on a global level, but it me meant that we had to get the technology down. And so we spent a lot of time as a team analyzing under and understanding, leveraging blockchain and machine learning. What is this waste? Where does it come from? Who does it go to? What price point are people willing to pay, right? And how can we really effectively measure things like the water, the toxins, the carbon emissions and the dollars saved. And we do that for anyone who participates in our marketplace, whether you're an individual student maker, crafter, or quilter, or you're a massive brand or retailer, because everybody deserves to have that point of sale or point of purchase that information at their fingertips and make an educated decision. And especially when you start to look at um, larger companies, I think we spoke about this at the, the start of the call, like the company that I run, we focus on a similar kind of mission whereby we want to get rid of waste caused by promotional items and instead give back to charities. And one of the things that I find really interesting is not only are companies becoming more socially conscious from the way they do business, but secondly, they have responsibility to their shareholders around around that kind of stuff now as well. I don't know if you could talk to a little bit around that because presumably the, the work that you're doing, be able, being able to provide them with facts and figures and, and hard facts is really attractive to larger companies, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple points to that. One is that for these businesses, they are starting to make claims and put stakes in the ground as to where they're going and what they're doing, right? Zara and others saying, I want to be 100% sustainable by 2025, 2030. That is awesome. I think that's powerful. But where do you go? And what do you do on day one, right? And how do you actually measure this, as you said, and report to your stakeholders, your C-suites, your investors, your end consumers? And that's where I think really cool and powerful technology like the software we've built, leveraging blockchain and other things can help provide that data and that report. Now, that's important as you mentioned, to stakeholders who have who care about these missions. It's important to your end consumers who care about this, the millennials and Gen Zs, especially more than ever. But it's also important in the face of all the recent changes in the laws. If you think about what's going on in the world, right? Recycling laws, tariffs, trade wars. I mean, all of these shifts and changes, you need to be able to show what you are doing with your waste and your CSR responsibility so that you can actually offset that coming legal liability. We're actually part of a pretty cool initiative called the Circular, uh, the New York Circular City Initiative, backed by New York City government, H&M, Unilever, Cisco, and a whole host of other incredibly powerful organizations. We produced a white paper, which you can read at circularnyc.org, that shows by New York City going circular in the coming years, 
What are the changes in the laws that need to happen? And by adopting these kinds of solutions, how many good jobs can be created and how much money can be saved and made by New York City doing this? And the hope is obviously that we can take this around the US and other parts of the world to show this as a true use case of why circular economy is just that. It's an economic principle, right? The second word is economy. And this is all the value that can be unlocked and created by doing it. And I think that's also how you get adoption these days, right? You, you started with the question about how do you tell your stakeholders this? But this is about also them being able to not just measure it and not just communicate it, not just comply with law, but think about building for the future, mm -hmm. thinking about what a future supply chain looks like and how to prepare their business for all these changes. And I think you know the future supply chain is definitely gonna be one that is more on demand, more local and more sustainable. And we have to be ready. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually, uh, and I don't know if you've read this book. It's um, our, our learning so far. I think it's called. It's basically the four, the first forty years of Patagonia and all the lessons that they learned from 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 creating that company. And, and one of the things I took away from that book was actually what you mentioned around the millennial generation, and, and actually with the way the job market is shaping up from a um, from how competitive it is. People can work remotely. I mean, having a a social impact or at least a CSR function which is truly contributing to a, a more positive world is is such a benefit right to to organizations to have I don't know if that do, do you hear that from like you mentioned Cisco and Unilever and how they're involved in that initiative um is that is that one of the things that they're finding like when when they have a really core social impact focus, it actually attracts more people to work for their companies, I'd imagine. Massively. And, and the data and the use case are, are what matter here, right? And so I can tell you that for one of the largest enterprise customers that we have, which is one of the world's leading global sports footwear and apparel company, they have, by finding and monetizing this waste, recouped up to 15% of their bottom line. And by talking about and communicating the work they're doing with sustainability, with waste and excess stock, they've actually seen three times the conversion rate in their online direct-to-consumer business, just by talking about it. Oh. And so I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Millennials and Gen Zs, they are acting with their dollars. They do want socially mission-driven companies. And um, especially with this whole move to direct-to-consumer, especially through the pandemic, it has only heightened, I think, the appetite for this. One thing I will say though, is that when it comes down to actually comparing two products at point of purchase and the cost, I do think it's hard for somebody to be willing to pay substantially more exactly at point of purchase um, you know, for, for that item if it, just because it's sustainable. Yeah. But that's where I think interesting business models like ours can help actually this, the brand and retailer sell like quality goods that are sustainably minded, but do it at the same price point or even cheaper. Mm -hmm. And then it makes that appetite for that end consumer even stronger, right? Because the costs are the same or even less. Great. It's actually a really good point um, that you've just made there. Because I, I would actually, I broadly agree with you. And I'm somebody that really cares about sustainability and, and stuff like that. If there's a massive spike in price, there's still some thought process that goes into that, right? Around like, am I really going to pay double the price for because it's sustainable? But actually, and yeah, so will. Right, yeah, some of, but, but not the majority. And to get global adoption of this, it has to make economic sense and business sense. Yeah, for sure. And so, so one question I like kind of um, asking is, I know inherently your business has sustainability kind of attached to it. So it's almost a bit of a, a stupid question, but as a company, as, as Queen of Royal, your company culture, 
what other things do you guys do from like a, an employee benefit or a, a culture perspective to to help you know sustainability well th- it matters a lot right because at our core we are definitely for profit but definitely with a very strong social mission and that is embodied in myself and my co-founder and early on you know we took a very broad view of sustainability of course to us our decisions need to bear in mind people planet and profit so that when the, that's kind of the guidelines that we use when we analyze decisions that we make but when it comes to supporting sustainability and our community um, we actually think about very broad view of diversity obviously you know we're a woman-led woman-run company but that's just one facet of diversity um, we also need to think about age ability sexual orientation right i mean all of these viewpoints and and we take that into account and we've made sure that our board of directors our board of advisors and our core managers reflect those diverse opinions. Because when you bring those diverse opinions into a room, you only get stronger as a business and and better thought processes. Um, And so we don't ascribe to just one view right here. We want a a multitude of views to to have decision-making that makes sense. And that S word sustainability, I know it keeps meaning a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, That's a challenge for this industry and this movement, right? But also an opportunity because it means you can find what fits with you and your spirit and your ethos. And that becomes your brand and your personality, personally and professionally. Yeah, no, I love that. I think um, one of the questions I wanted to ask is like the case you've just outlined to me makes total sense right from like uh if i was a company it makes sense from like i'm gonna earn more money i'm also going to be more sustainable yep. what are some of the pushbacks that the companies or people give you because for me like i'm finding it very difficult to to figure them out in my head like why wouldn't people or companies be part of this platform you bet and i've been saying this for years <laughs> but it actually took a global pandemic for some of those no's to become yeses right yeah. um But, you know, when we first started talking to businesses, we would end up in 2018, early on, talking to just the sustainability departments in in big corporations. And don't get me wrong, they are your brand champions and continue to be incredibly supportive of us. But oftentimes they were a newly created position. They didn't really have all the directives and initiatives outlined of what they were going to do yet. And they weren't ingrained into all the different departments and business units of these complex global organizations. And I have found that in order to get, you know, business-wide adoption, industry adoption, and truly disrupt a business in an old school way of doing things, you need the CEO who sets the corporate agenda, the CIOs and the COOs who manage the technology and the information, right? Design, supply chain, procurement, who touch this stuff every day, CFOs who handle the financial liabilities. You need all those C-suites to think differently, even the CMOs who do the marketing and the storytelling, right? That is when I think you get industry-wide adoption. Um, And so we've really spent a lot of time first finding who our early adopters were, who were the big brands and retailers who got this, who knew this was valuable and a priority and who came on board early on. And now we can go after the hot messes and those early on no's and turn those into yeses, right? But, uh, but, but that's all a part of obviously as we grow and, and we do more to support our, our community, see what they want and need. Yeah, and I'd imagine you've got some pretty cool case studies, right, from the customers that you already have. And I imagine that is like probably the most impactful marketing you could ever have because only like it's a competitive industry. And if one brand is doing things this way and the next more profit, then it becomes an obvious sell, right? Is that is that kind of correct? 
No, that's 100% correct. And it's funny, when I look at our pipeline of who our enterprise customers who are coming on board, signing our software deals and working with us, um, they are the same ones who were listed in the latest McKinsey report as the top 20 super winners in fashion and retail who dominated in value creation since 2018 to the present. But I don't think that's a coincidence, right? If they're dominating in D2C and value creation through the past you know, handful of years, it's because they have this approach to innovation technology, sustainability, and they get it. And I think they're the ones who are truly going to serve, not just survive today, but thrive tomorrow and build for this future that we're talking about. So um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been interesting to see the shift and the opportunity in this industry for sure. You know, we kind of myth bust a little bit early on that sustainability doesn't have to cost you more money, right? With stuff like waste and what we're doing, as you mentioned with your model too, you can make money and then by doing good acts and then yeah. actually take that money and put it back into doing other good things in your supply chain, pay those workers more, right? Use more technology, be more efficient, use more sustainable materials. The other thing I kind of wanted to myth bust a little bit is that a lot of people originally, when we first started talking about this, they saw sustainability, not just as a nice to have, but that it was good for little pilot projects, mm -hmm. little eco-conscious collections, but that it was impossible to automate and do this at scale. And let's, you know, here and now let's, let's get rid of that because that is a hundred percent incorrect with technology and tools. It is totally possible to automate and scale massive enterprise corporations to see real value from adopting and doing things differently. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with you. I think that you mentioned a couple of interesting things. First, the, the top 20 women are the ones that are driving the most revenue. And um, I think partly you kind of touched on it. I think I think in this world at the moment, there there are so many tools out there that are making making lives better. Yours probably being one of those. I think it just takes the initial step to maybe try something a little bit new. But but honestly, that that's where innovation comes from, right? A lot of the time, being able to take a chance and and try something different and go against the status quo. So I thought that was a that was a really great great point. Um, the other piece that that I'd be interested in digging into. And it was around that like large collection piece and, and how logistically that kind of works out. So when you kind of take somebody on as a, as a client, yep. you must have to speak to lots of different people, I'd imagine, to get it kind of rolled, the platform rolled out. Is that correct? Or is there usually just one person kind of rolling the platform out? No, it depends, right? I mean, all of these organizations have different structures and they all have, you know, different, uh, different departments that handle different things. The way our software works, it's actually awesome because you can literally start selling your dead stock on day one and okay. start making money. Even while we set up the automated scalable full software solution, nice. right? So we start selling on day one, start making money, start showing you that ROI while we continue to automate and scale the bigger piece of this. And, you know, a lot of fashion brands run on SAP. Um, they're one of the world's leading inventory management systems. And we actually have an amazing partnership and integration with SAP so that things are plug and play. We can go into our enterprise clients' books and records, find the waste and automatically pull it into Queen of Raw's engine and then take action all with the click of a button. So I think that's where we start to, as we kind of mentioned about automating and scaling these things, really integrating ourselves into our customers' businesses to make the time and resources that they save so valuable and make this so quick and easy that they actually can literally just have one person assigned to oversee the project and we can take care of the rest. That's Love what we do. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think um, that's actually rare in any type of software being able to get value from the platform from from day one, right? Like that's 
that's fairly rare, even like large, larger, like you mentioned SAP, there's probably a period of implementation or a massive period of implementation before you can start using it and getting value. So I love the point there that you could literally start adding value from this platform in day one. I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. Um, so Stephanie, last question for you. And it's when I ask everybody, it's mainly around like, why should companies care about social responsibility, social impact and sustainability? What words would you have for companies that don't have that as like a part of their business and what are they missing out on by, by, by not paying attention to those kind of things? I would tell them it's about the dollars. Do you want to save and make more money? Do you want to improve your bottom and top line? This is the way to do it while also doing good for people and planet. Um, and to me, I'm doing what I'm doing for my children. I want them to have clean water to drink, clothes that aren't toxic to wear and a planet to live on. And I'm not stopping till I do. So, you know, I believe those who kind of truly innovate with us today are going to thrive and, and tomorrow and change the world. So let's do it together. Awesome. I love it. So um, final thing, where can people go to check out Queen of Raw, find out more information? Anytime we have queenofraw.com, we're at Queen of Raw on all social media. And I'm at Stephanie at queenofraw.com. I give out my cell phone, 203-981-6993. I'm kind of known for that because I want people to reach out. Uh, I want to help. I want to be a part of the solution. And, and let's get going. Time is now. Awesome. All right, Stephanie, thanks so much for being on today. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you for having me.